so you can tell we're doing a little bit of remodeling here in the sanctuary. Hopefully, we'll get it painted in the next couple of weeks. It'll look a little different, uh, so please don't mind the dust and the patches and everything else. So, But that doesn't matter now, does it? Let's study God's Word. Amen? So, I thought I heard an amen out there somewhere. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, if you'll turn there. We've gone as far as verse 10. In our verse-by-verse study in the book of Colossians. And the first two chapters of this epistle, Paul is establishing the believers in um, truth concerning Jesus, his deity, his supremacy, his sufficiency for you and me. And telling us that we have the hope of heaven through Christ, forgiveness of sin, right relationship with the Father. We have reconciliation with the Father. And it's been a really important study um, in those first two chapters because it helps us to be steadfast in the faith. And we see a pattern in the Pauline epistles that oftentimes you see Ephesians, Romans, here in Colossians. That He makes sure that we understand who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, our salvation found in Christ, the blessings that we have in Christ. Uh, and, and then he tells us how to live for Christ. And that's what we're going to see in these chapters as we started chapter 3 last time. In chapters 3 and 4, how it is that we live for Christ. Um, And we're going to see that as last week, um, we are are going to continue that we're to put to death the things that are against God in, in a part of this world. Put to death all worldliness and carnality, as we saw in verse 8 as we ended last week. Uh, it's like taking off a set of clothes. That's what we're to put off. Verse 5 is put to death these things, these sins, uh, covetousness, uh, idolatry, fornication, uncleanness, uh, all those things were to mortify it. And then put off anger, malice, wrath, verse 8, blasphemy, don't lie to one another. That's worldly stuff. And then we are to put on Christ. And here's what the scripture teaches us. Whenever the scripture tells us that we are to leave something or put it off or mortify it, then we are to pursue something else. For example, Paul writes to Timothy that you flee useful lusts, but then you pursue righteousness. Here we're told to mortify these sins and put it to death. That's not a part of you anymore. Remember that Christ is in you, the hope of glory, as he wrote in chapter 2. And then, as we know, that we're to put on certain things. And that's what we're going to be looking at as we have a new nature. And these virtues should be a part of our lives, as we're going to see here as we pick it up at verse 10. So let's begin to read in chapter 3 of Colossians, in verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the nature of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So you as a Christian, you're not only to put off, but then you are to put on. You see people who don't have Christ They don't have the opportunity to put on the things of Christ. You and I do because you're a new man, a new woman in Christ. We hear all the time, today is very popular, about how we can become a new person and those who are life coaches and those who help us and on social media and how you can have a new body, uh, a new mind and all these other things. But you and I, we get to be a new man, a new woman in the best sense of the word that is 
we get to put on Christ-likeness because we're a new creature in Christ. We walk in the newness of life. Christ dwells in our hearts. And we are to put off the worldly things, put on spiritual things, and we put off the filthiness of the world, and we dress ourselves in accordance with Christ. Verse 10, according to the image of him who created him. And because Christ lives in me, I live for Christ. I put on those things that are like Christ. And because that there is neither Jew or Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, Christ is saving and changing people with all kinds of backgrounds and all different places of every tribe, tongues, people, and nation. The gospel is for everyone. And it's interesting, just a little side note here. Notice that in verse 11, he writes, Scythians. And who are they? Well, they were a group of people, it is believed, that were way up north, north of Colossae, north of, of Asia Minor. And they were up by the Caspian Sea, the Black Sea. And it is believed by church historians that perhaps, as Paul writes this, that the church of Colossae, the churches in Asia Minor, were sending missionaries clear up into that area, and people were getting saved. So we're all part of the body of Christ, a part of the elect of God. And now we are told, verses 12 through 14, what it is that we're to put on. So we've been told to put off, put off those things, verse 8. Now verses 12 through 14, put on. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you, so you also must do. But above all these things, verse 14 Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So don't keep the old tendencies and sin, but put on the new nature, the new man, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 13, verse 14 tells us that put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Understand that as we submit to the Lord, as we yield to the Lord, it, these things are going to be worked out in our lives. Again, it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. So you put on Christ and that which is characteristic of Christ. And I think and I hope that we're understanding what really is being emphasized here. This is really important if we want to experience that abundant life that the Lord has for us. I think that oftentimes what can happen if, if we let it is we can have the mindset of, of the world or modern culture which tells us that we have to put on certain things or we have to play a certain role in life. Hey, guys, you're told to play the, the hard guy, you know, the tough guy. Or I'm going to play the role of the cool person. Or I'm going to play the role of the most, you know, real important person and, and get my name out there. You know how that is, that there are certain roles that we're told that we are to play and be about and pursue. And even in ministry. You know, even in ministry, trying the, the pastor to be the one that's cool or the one that's really intelligent or the one who's very relevant or I'm going to be the tough, hard guy, I'll show them. And you know how that can be. And I think that we need to be careful. We need to be aware that the greatest role, the priority, what we are to put on is Christ. And I know that God gives us different personalities. We all have different personalities. And God uses those personalities. He wants to use all of us. 
And some are kind of tough. You know, I, I think of Wes Bentley. Um, Wes Bentley and far-reaching ministry, a good friend of mine that he's spoken here, has ministry all over the world in war-torn countries. And, and just every time he calls me, he, he scares me half to death. But he's, I look at him and he think, man, that guy is tough. But when I do look at him, I also see that overrides that is he has Christ-likeness. There are some that are more laid back. There are some that are very intelligent. I'm very thankful for them. And what I'm saying is that above all, above everything else, what we are to do is put on Christ. That our lives are characterized by these things that are listed here. As verse 12 tells you and me, you are the elected. That is, you belong to Christ. You are holy. That is, you are separated to God. You don't belong to this world. And if you don't belong to this world, then you don't put on the attitudes and characteristics that are worldly. Our priority is heaven. We belong to heaven. We're told to, to set our minds on heaven, the things above. And as we put on these things that are listed here in verses 12 through 14, again, the pattern is put to death these things, verse 5, these sins. Uh, put off these things such as anger and all of that, verse 8. And now what you are to do is you are to put on these characteristics that are Christ-like. And it is such a higher way of living. It really is. And I don't think that any of us here, at least I hope not, want to continue in worldliness. We don't want to continue in arrogance or wanting to be noticed or trying to be something that we're not. Trying to get the glory and get the attention and continue in all manner of greed and sinful lusts of the world. We don't want to continue in that. You and I are to put off all of that. And we put on the nature and character of Jesus Christ as we have discovered in God's word. That includes a dying to self, a submission to God, and a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Christ-likeness is a part of who we are. People might look at you and say, yeah, you know, they're kind of tough, but, you know, they're Christ-like. They, they have the characteristics of Christ. They're kind of cool, the skateboarder, you know, the snowboarder. But they have the nature. They put on Christ-likeness. Uh, they're really intelligent, but they put on Christ-likeness. They're really laid back. And I think that, that as we do, that's what people are going to see as we desire to put on these virtues that are being told to us. That should be our desire more than anything. And I want people to look at my life of who I am and how I live and what I say and how I treat others. And more than being known for what I did in life is how I lived life. Did I live, do I live for Christ and after Christ? Like Christ would. That should be our priority and desire rather than being known for, you know, being super smart or cool guy or tough guy or whatever it might be. I think, parents, that this is important for you to talk to your kids about. We're going to talk about the family next week. We're going to talk about the roles of husbands and wives and raising our children in, in the ways of the Lord. And it's very important that we talk to our kids about these things because a lot of pressure can be put on them to play the role. Pressure from the world. How to dress, how to talk, how to be cool. All of this 
and it can be very confusing to them and, and very demanding, and it can really bring discouragement to them. And we as parents, as grandparents, as you get to minister to young people, that we have the privilege to be able to tell them that, that God made you the way that you are. He gave them personalities and likes and dislikes. And raising four kids, I know all four of my kids are different. They're similar in a lot of ways, but different. And we have the privilege of not only molding them as we raise them in the ways of the Lord, but unfolding them as well. We get to unfold them, what their strengths are and, and what they like, and to let them know that that's just the way that God made you, and you're precious in his sight. And don't try to be something or someone that you're not, because the world's putting pressure on you to be this way. I tell, you know, the staff all the time, let's not be something that we're not here at Calvary Chapel. Let's be who God has called us to be. And let's look to his word. And let's be Calvary Chapel. We don't have to be like other churches. We don't have to try to be the most happening place or whatever it might be. Let's be who God has called us to be according to the scriptures and where he's leading us. So what we do is we put on to be more Christ-like as we read. First of all, what is it that we put on? Very important. Number one, we read tender mercies there in verse 12. It can be translated tender compassion. We have compassion towards others. Now, we can watch TV, for example. Probably a lot of you have seen the images, what happened in Maui and the fires that went through and destroyed homes and businesses and lives that are lost and still hundreds of people are missing. And, and we look at that. We see the images, and it can cause an emotional response. And we have compassion, don't we? We think, wow, people have lost lives, family members, their homes, their businesses, this, this is so incredible. And there's other times where we see people going through trials and difficulties and loss or difficult situation. And, and we have this compassion that we feel for them. And here is the idea is a compassion that is more than an um, emotional response, but a compassion that leads to action. Jesus showed us this quality in his life. Matthew chapter 9, when he saw the multitudes... He was moved, is what Matthew writes, with compassion. He did something because they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And what did he do? Well, in Matthew chapter 9, he was bringing healing to the people. So we have compassion. It is heartfelt. It causes me to minister to others, helping in practical ways, praying for somebody. When you hear that they're going through difficulties or hardships or loss, that we can try to encourage them, minister to them. It moves us, that compassion, to just help in any way that we can, to encourage and build up any way that we can, to be there for people. Now, contrast that with what we talked about last week that we're to put off. If you see, we don't put off anger, wrath, and malice. We still carry it around that you have in your heart, then you're not going to be very compassionate towards others. Rather, it's that I don't have time for them. You know, I, I, they really don't matter to me right now, whatever, you know, those negative thoughts might be. But when we put those things off, we are moved with compassion. And it would be in that text that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 that the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. As we have compassion on others, may it move us to minister. 
Secondly, we're to put on tender mercies, or not tender mercies, that's first, but second of all, kindness is what he says. It speaks of unselfish spirit as you help others. It speaks of an attitude when you talk with others, work with others. It speaks of a willing to give to others, and we're considerate of others. You know one of the ways that you can tell if a person is kind? Is you see kids will respond to that. Kids don't respond to those who are harsh and selfish, and really people don't in, in general. They don't respond to those things in a positive way. But we can minister to others more effectively if we show kindness. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, after the apostle writes about how God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, showed us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Titus chapter 3, verse 4, for you who are jotting down notes, but when the kindness of the love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. I'm so thankful that the Lord has showed kindness to us in saving us, in working in our lives, and changing our hearts, making us a new person, giving us eternal life, and we are to be kind to others. Then thirdly, put on humility. We talked a lot about this in our Philippians study, that we are to humble ourselves before God. And a good definition, always remember this, of humility is given to us in Philippians chapter 2. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. And Jesus, he humbled himself and came in the form of a man, a servant, obedient to death, the death on the cross. And we are to humble ourselves in submission to him. Fourthly, the fourth characteristic of virtue that we're to put on that's listed here is meekness. It's meekness, not meanness. It is meekness, and it's not weakness. You see, meekness is strength under control. It is being strong in the Lord, but under the control of the Spirit. It might be translated gentleness. Jesus would say, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am meek or gentle and lowly in heart. And again, meekness is closely related to humility, not desiring to be overbearing and dominating towards others. I'm going to rule with a heavy hand in my house and at the workplace and to the people that you know, are linked to me in my life. We're to have meekness. We're to be strong. And guys in your family, you be strong, but you be meek. You be humbled. And, and that takes the work of the Lord. Paul would write to the Corinthians, I'm not here to rule over you. I'm here to be helpers of your joy. So as we will talk about next time, what it really means to lead our families in our homes is not being overbearing and not ruling with a heavy hand and, and dictatorial and all of this. It is serving it's being compassionate. It's being strong and standing up and saying for us, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I'm going to love my wife and I'm going to love my children. And I'm going to protect what goes in, comes into our home. And I'm going to minister to others in the way the Lord wants me to. In humility and in meekness, 
I want to be a blessing to others and be a helper of their joys. I think that all of us, we want that for others. Do you and I desire to bring joy to others that are weary and tired and just burnt out from the world? And then number five, list it here that we're to put on. Long-suffering or patience. It is interesting that the Greek word here literally means long-burning. A lot of times we can have such a short fuse with others. We can get so impatient with one another. We make sudden snap judgments about others, and we're to be long-suffering. It speaks of a steady response in the face of provocation. Remember that it was Paul in chapter 1 that he would write as he was praying to the Colossian believers that they would have God's power working in them for all patience and long-suffering with joy. And I know I need to pray that for myself. Lord, help me to be patient with others. Long-suffering in circumstances and to do it with joy because I'm not a patient person by nature. And I don't like enduring in circumstances that are long and difficult. I don't like to go through those times. But I know that the Lord uses those times to grow me and to minister through me. And and I want to be patient with others. I want to be long-suffering in the difficulties that others go through and I go through. And then in verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. I like what one person said. It's a simple translation of bearing one another. It means that you stand with others. It means that you stand with others. And there is compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering that goes with it. And in those times that we need to forgive to remember that Christ has forgiven you. And we talked about putting away anger and wrath and all of that last week. And, and as I said, one of the hardest things can be when we really have been hurt is to forgive. But we've been called to do that. And to remember this, that we have been forgiven. And I know that it's something that as we are called to forgive someone who has cut us very deep and hurt us very badly, that it has to be a work of the Lord. Lord, I'm told to forgive. Help me to forgive because you've forgiven me. And if we come to that point where we're being unforgiving, we can reflect and remember how the Lord has forgiven us. And in that forgiveness, it doesn't mean that relationships are going to be you know, restored, they still may be severed or you may still need to be in a place where you're safe and and not being taken advantage of, whatever it might be. But here we're told if you have a complaint with someone, then don't harbor unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and malice. But rather, if you can, go to them and try to work it out. And I understand that sometimes things don't work out the way that it should or you hope that it did. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, live peaceably with all people if possible. He puts in that qualifier, if possible. But we want to be forgiving because I don't want that person or that circumstance to have control over me. So Lord, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to commit them to you. And Lord, if there's any opportunity for restoration or you know or healing i'm going to be open to it but i'm going to move forward and lord i'm not going to let this thing just 
cause bitterness and anger and wrath to grow in my heart and to go through life with grudges and all of that. And I've had people that have been very difficult to me in my ministry at times. And, and I've tried to reconcile, but it didn't happen. It didn't work out. And I don't want to go through life being full of grudges concerning others or those circumstances. I'm going to forgive and I'm going to move forward because if I have that anger and malice and all of that in my heart, I can't do my ministry. And I don't want to live that way. So forgiving others, remembering how Christ has forgiven us. And then Paul sums up what we're to put on, verse 14, above all, above all, listen, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It reminds me of what Paul would write in his last exhortation to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, let all that you do be done with love, agape love. It is God's love working in our hearts, holding all these virtues together that has worked out in our lives. That's why it's called the bond of perfection. That word perfection means maturity. It is the mark of one who's mature in the Lord, one who's walking in the Spirit, for the fruit of the Spirit is love. And remember that it was the Gnostics, the legalists, and the mystics that, that we talked about. They were all coming into the church of Colossae with their definitions of spirituality. And Paul here says, here's true spirituality. You are to put on these virtues being worked out in your life. And then in verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. So we're to put on Christ. We're to become more like Christ. And we're to have the peace of Christ that rules in our hearts and in our lives. And there will be a peace that will rule, notice here, in the body of Christ as a body of believers, as a church, as we put on the virtues that we just read about in verses 12 through 14. Then we will see his peace that will rule or govern this church if we are compassionate, if we are kind, if we show humility, which means no selfish ambition, no conceit, looking out for the interests of others, if we're long-suffering, if we're forgiving one another, love being worked out in our lives, then we will see the peace of God that will rule in this church. And the same application can be made with your own family. Those virtues of being put on, worked out in your homes, but if there is anger and malice and those things listed in verse 8 of the chapter, if there's backbiting and jealousies, then the peace of God will not rule in our homes and will not rule in this church. I've already in the first two services that we had talked to some who said, you know, I was in a church at one time. I stopped going to church for a long time. And, and the reason that I stopped going because I was going to a church where there was gossip and fighting and division and there was no peace that was there. I wouldn't want to go to a church like that either. And it is my prayer daily for this body of believers here at Calvary Chapel and for your homes personally that the peace of God would rule as you put on Christ, as you show the love of Christ, as we live for Christ, as we serve him as we realize that our lives here on this earth is to prioritize the kingdom of God. It is not just to live for ourselves. And when we understand that and make that our own, then the peace of God will rule in our hearts. And notice in verse 15, plural, in which you were called in one body. 
So the peace of God should characterize the body of believers corporately. But I also want to make a secondary application here. And it's simply this. That oftentimes as a pastor, people will come to me and they will ask. Or they'll call or I'll talk to them on the radio. And they'll ask for direction. They, they want to know what God's will is for them uh, in this area. Should I move here? Should I buy this home? Should I take this job? Should I be involved in this? Whatever it might be. How do I know if it's, it's God's will? And as you walk with Christ and submit to him, come to him, the wonderful counselor. I think about Isaiah chapter 30. The Lord says that as you come to him for counsel, in returning in rest is what the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah. You shall be saved. And in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. For your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way you walk in it. So when you read the whole chapter there of Isaiah 30, he says, come to me. And then he says, wait on me. And as you wait on me, then I will be good to you. I'll be gracious to you. And then you will hear from me. So as we go to the Lord seeking direction, and do you realize, we should all realize, that the Lord wants to give us direction. He really does. He wants to direct our lives. We get it from, number one, the word of God is there to direct and and guide us. Second of all, the Holy Spirit speaking in that still small voice. And then thirdly, I believe that he will give you a peace that will rule in your heart. And I've seen that word rule be translated judge or govern or decide. It literally means to make the call. That's what the word means. It's like a baseball umpire. So 28 years ago, Sue and I are praying, do we go to Greeley? Do we start a church? We don't know anything about starting a church. We don't know anybody in Greeley except for my brother. Should we do that? So we went to the Lord. We were praying about it. And he was speaking to us even as we had our devotions. And there would be a verse that the Lord would speak to us uh, concerning going out. And it would really speak to our hearts. And then as we were praying, just the Lord continuing to speak to, you know, us about going. And then there was just a peace that ruled in our hearts as we waited on him. He said, go, we, I want you to go. And we went with no hesitations. There have been times in my lives that I had a decision to make and I moved forward and I wasn't hearing from the Lord. I didn't really seek him. I didn't have that peace ended up making a mess of things. But it's when I sense his voice speaking to my heart and have a peace about it, I feel confident to move forward. But with that said, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Isn't it amazing? Some of you might be thinking Colossians chapter 3 parallels a lot of Ephesians chapter 5. Very similar, that other prison epistle. And as he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is really important because don't come to me, as some have, and say, Pastor Jeff, I have such a peace about doing this. Or participating in that. 
or allowing this in my life, and it is not according to the word of God and how we are to live. It's not in, in godly wisdom. Uh, I am at work, and I met somebody, and I know the Lord brought this person to me, and we're connecting, and we're getting close, and I know this is of the Lord. So I'm going to divorce my spouse, and I'm going to pursue this relationship. I can tell you very clearly that's not of the Lord. That's not his will for you. And you think that, well, that's an obvious example, but believe it or not, I've had a few people do that in my years of ministry. And I can tell them that's not what God wants. The peace that God will give you ruling, governing in your heart will not contradict what the word of God says to you and how you are to live. That peace will not cause you to walk in disobedience or contrary to his word. So the man of God and the woman of God will walk according to the word of God. It's important to go to the word of God. So oftentimes we go to social media or we go to YouTubes or we go to all these other things. Go to the word of God. And you are to live your life for God. As you're desiring to move forward in blessing and, and desiring to please him. You go to your loving father and say, Lord, I want to be obedient to you. I really want to know what your will is in my life. And you said in James that if I lack wisdom, I can come to you and ask, and you'll give it to me as I come in faith. I know that you desire to guide me in all things. So give me that peace that rules in my heart and let the word of Christ dwells in me richly and let me do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I want to make sure that I'm not violating any precepts or commands that are spelled out in your word because your word is sure and the final authority in my life. And I know that my heart can be vulnerable to deception and I don't want to go in a direction that you don't want me to go. I want to wait on you and I want to have that peace that rules in my heart. And Christian, you need to know this. Because I talk with people that say, oh, I have such a peace about this. And they are doing or being involved in what I can show them clearly is not from God's word. How they are violating what the word of God has to say to them. So we have to be careful that we don't put feelings and experience over the word of God. Because that's happening a lot. And the wisdom of God will be revealed in the word of God. And then one more comment, but this is important too. Concerning putting on the, the, the new man, one of the characteristics that will show in our lives is that we will give thanks. Verse 15, be thankful. Verse 16, singing with grace, gratitude in your hearts. Again, it parallels very closely to what Ephesians chapter 5 says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in Ephesians chapter 5, he goes into the roles and responsibilities, husbands and wives, uh, parents and children, uh, masters and bond servants, same pattern here we'll talk about that next time but listen speaking to one another in psalms hymns spiritual songs making melody in your heart to the lord giving thanks always for all things to god the father in the name of the lord jesus christ what is the atmosphere of your home really of my home is it are we being thankful is it we're speaking of the things of the lord making a melody in our heart, giving thanks to the Lord. We are so blessed. We are the most blessed people. And I understand 
I can bellyache like anybody else. I'm just being honest with you. But I don't want my home just to be a place where there's complaining and murmuring and grumbling and putting people down all the time and being negative. We have reason to be thankful. We're a child of God. We, we are forgiven. We have the hope of heaven. Jesus said to his disciples, rejoice in this. Your names are written in heaven. We're the most blessed people that there are. And you might be here and you might be thinking, you know, it's, it can be hard at times. It's difficult. we got challenges. I understand that. But you can still be thankful because you have Christ. And he's going to be faithful to you. And he's going to work and he hears you as you go to him. And he's going to strengthen you. And it is hard. These are hard days in which we're in as we're raising children and our families and in the home. But may there be a, a song in your home, spiritual songs and blessing and the things of the Lord being spoken of. May that be the atmosphere of your home. But if it's just negative and grumping and all of this, you're not going to be thankful. Giving thanks to the Lord for what he has done. And you may come to the end of the month and you're thinking, I am worn out and I am tired and I don't have two dimes to rub together. If you have Christ, you're the richest person that there is. You really do. You have everything. Because I know those who seem to have it all in the world, but they don't have Christ. They're losing out. And as we continue in experiencing abundant life that he has for us or desiring to put on these virtues, don't play into the world telling us how we're to act and be, be who you are. Don't try to be something that you're not or someone that you're not. Amen? Be who you are. And as you are, put on Christ-likeness more than anything. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these words given to us and reminders that are so important. I thank you that we can gather in this place and we're told how we can live for you, to live that abundant life. And we do come with different personalities, and Lord, and I thank you for that that we can embrace each other and encourage each other and have compassion and humility. and that, Lord, that we can encourage and build up and be thankful. More than anything, put on Christ-likeness, that people, when they see us, they say that there's something different about you and it's not according to the world. And we can be a light to others. Lord, you made us all different. But Lord, we are one when we come to Christ and put on these things. And more than anything, put on love, which is the bond of perfection in our homes, with our families, and in this church. Being patient, long-suffering, being compassionate, having Lord, just mercy towards one another and extending grace, forgiving when we need to. And Lord, I thank you that you are doing that work in our lives and in our families and in this place. And I also want to pray. I want to take a moment here.
for you who are watching or if you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ for salvation, forgiveness of sin. He is your salvation. There is none other. No one else died for you, only Jesus. No one else rose from the grave, conquered sin and death, only Jesus. Because he's the son of God who came and made atonement for your sins. That's why he came. We're all sinners. And the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came to give you life. By dying for your sins and doing the work, as he cried out, it is finished from the cross. And then he was buried and rose again after three days. And he loves you. And he says, come. Call out on him. Believe in your heart the Lord Jesus. Confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. Come humbly and say that, Lord, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. And he's ready to hear you because the invitation is always to come. And you can pray right where you are that, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for me. You're the son of God who conquers sin and death, validating what you did on the cross. You're alive, and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for forgiving me this new beginning and bringing me to the family of God and help me to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.